0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: And we're back. Welcome to Trashy Divorces and welcome 2021. We made it. We made it. Hey, Stacy.
0: Hello, Alicia. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be back this week. Me too. I enjoyed our time off, but it's nice to get back into it. So welcome to season nine of Trashy Divorces, and a very happy new year to you. That's exactly right.
1: This week we're talking about some rich girls, using the 1976 classic from
0: Holland Oates. You got twins this week. I do. I have the, the twins, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. They had a weird childhood, and it's we get into it. Having a weird adulthood, too, but... Definitely rich girls. Childhood started weird. Yeah. You have uh, you have sort of uh, an American... You have an American story. I have an
1: American icon. Mm-hmm. I have the daughter of a twin this week. Three times divorced, four times married, accomplished human being extraordinary. Gloria Vanderbilt, what a story. Before we launch into a whole new year of trash candy... Let's give some thanks to our new
0: patrons over at patreon.com
1: slash trashy divorces.
0: So what did did our Trash Pandas get over the holidays, Alicia? Oh, God.
1: Can't stop, won't stop. (laughs) I did a whole deep dive. (laughs) Haha, see what I did there? On pockets. You did. The history of pockets over time. We wrapped the American Woman series up with the diva archetype of Aretha Franklin. We talked about the eight types of love. Famous relatives of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. Truly, there's always something shaking out over there. Sure. So let's jump to the
0: magic mirror. Oh, Robert. bringing it out. Mm hmm. Who do give, we see in it? We are going to give great thanks and praise to Katie H., Maria K., Whitney Ann S., Shannon, and Katie E., Lee Faith T, Kate A, Angela O, Susan A, Melissa P, Elizabeth A, Misha S, Colleen L, Fran K, Jennifer M, Teresa N, Scott M, Sonia E, and Stephanie R. Thank
1: you. Y'all are awesome. Thanks so much. And we have a new super supporter, Barb D. Thank
0: you all for your support on Patreon. Patrons and Sunday audience. Thanks for uh, coming back and listening. Absolutely. I can't even wait for 2021. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, I hope so. You ready to go, go, go? I just don't want to make eye contact with 2021.
1: No, keep low. Walk in quietly. (laughs) But we still have to go, go, go. Okay. Stacey, you have our first... Tale of the Twins today. Probably one of the most famous sets of twins in our current culture.
0: That's undoubtedly true. Yeah. Yes. I, I have Mary Kate and then in parentheses, and Ashley Olson, the Olson twins. One of them trashier than the other. You know, we'll get into it. Hey, Alicia, oldsters like ourselves may best know Mary Kate and Ashley Olson as the adorable child stars playing toddler Michelle Tanner on Full House back in the late 80s and early 90s. That is true. They were cast in the role at the age of just six months, and the production needed two actors to play the role because California has very strict laws about how many hours per day a child actor can work. They shared the role through its end in 1995, after which they remained active on television and film for about the next decade, at which point Ashley diverged full-time into fashion design While Mary-Kate continued to act a bit, but was increasingly busy with their design label, The Row. Which I had to play a video to make sure it's not pronounced The Row, because... You never know. You never know. (laughs) I think what people really look to Trashy Divorces for is our keen sense of pronunciation. So, anyway. We have some real expertise. It's The Row. Mm -hmm. Ashley Olsen has not yet married, though there is some trash. We'll rifle through. But Mary-Kate, oh bless you, Mary-Kate. Has not only married the half brother of the former president of France, but tried to quickie divorce him when the pandemic hit New York. Ooh la la! We're just gonna dive right in. Ashley Fuller Olson and Mary Kate Olson were born on June thirteenth, nineteen eighty-six. Ah, Gemini girls. They are Gemini.
1: God,
0: four of them. Yeah, four. Right. Right. Wow, that just hit me. Yeah, woo. In Sherman Oaks, California. Ashley is two minutes older than Mary-Kate, or Mary-late, am I right? Oh, oh Mary-late. <laughs> uh, and as six months old, as noted, they beat out hundreds of other twin baby sets to land the part in full house. Uh, they're fraternal, not identical twins. They really do favor each other, though, so it, it worked sure. pretty seamlessly. The show ran from September 87 to May of 95 and established the twins with a particular segment of the public. In the first season, when, again... They were actual babies. Babies. They earned $2,400 per episode. Wow. Mid- A piece or together? Not not clear. Okay. Not clear. Um, mid-series, when their personal budgets presumably began to include solid food, it, <laughs> it went to $25,000 per episode. Holy cats. By the time Full House ended... The 8-year-old Olsen Twins were earning $80,000 per episode.
1: No. Again,
0: it's possible it was 160,000. Like I'm not sure whether that was individual or
1: either way.
0: It's a That's bank. A pretty penny. Yeah. Yeah, I I certainly saw the show during its run, but it was a period of my life where light family entertainment was not particularly compelling. I was too old for kids' TV, I was too young for stories about oddly composed families to be very appealing. So I will admit to having missed the absolute business genius of what Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen were doing with their childhoods. And props to the responsible adults from their parents to whatever lawyers, managers, and agents they hired for not robbing these children blind. Oh, yeah. It is rare. It is notable. We've talked about Jackie Coogan and Coogan's Law. like Absolutely. All right. So while I was embarking on my awkward late teens and early 20s, their agents were registering an LLC called Dual Star for them, (laughs) which would allow them even as children to choose, produce, and star in film and television projects. Many of these were direct-to-video, and I can remember back in the day being absolutely oblivious to concepts like market segmentation and all of that stuff, hearing that the Olsen twins were starring in yet another direct-to-video thing and thinking that like, it must mean that they're not very good actors. How sad. They're terrible actors. Direct-to-video. Oh, my God. No, they're making bank. In fairness, I do not know if they're good at acting or not. <laughs> what they are great at is business. And they were basically churning out this, like, kid and preteen-friendly content that parents were snapping up to keep their kids occupied at home. So. Right. They could have a moment of peace while they cook dinner or something. Oh, or put on the Olsen twins. That yes. Be... Yeah. Go watch Mary-Kate and Ashley. Yeah. So, Dualstar put out 14 film releases, two music video series, Shit. and three television shows between 1992 and
1: 2004.
0: Wow. Many featuring on-location shoots from places like Paris and London and Sydney and Rome. And these were basically branding vehicles for Mary-Kate and Ashley. So, they got to travel the world and that's genius. Oh yeah, passport to Paris and mm-hmm. you know, like yes. These were hugely lucrative. I mean, think about like the the bins of DVDs near the checkout lines at Walmart. Sure. That was that was where the Olsen Twins movies went. Like this is brilliant. I know they probably did not come up with this concept when they were 6 or whatever, but whoever <laughs> but whoever did really super smart yeah so by the time the twins turned 18 and assumed the co-presidency of dual star their net worth was estimated to be around 100 million dollars wow collectively it's a lot of that's a lot of dollars got some dollar bills this is also when they began their migration out of hollywood and into the new york-centric fashion scene Ashley stopped acting first and set about to design what she felt was the perfect t-shirt while she and her sister attended NYU, where neither graduated, but both made headlines with age-appropriate but still slightly trashy conduct. Distractify has an article outlining the sort of trashy phase of their lives, and we will have links to all of this stuff at trashydivorces.com. Unfortunately, though, this article starts with Mary-Kate checking into treatment for an eating disorder just before they were supposed to start at NYU. And let's be really honest about something here. These are young women who were put to work in Hollywood when they were actual babies. They have never experienced a day where they were not celebrities. They have never experienced a day without cameras. And they've never had a day where they were not being judged by the world at large You can imagine the pressure that, like, as kids, like, imagine one of them gained a few pounds. Like, yeah. So adults who they trusted would have constantly critiqued the slightest changes to their bodies. And this is when they were growing. Yeah. (laughs) Just outrageous. So, yeah, that one or both of them might have struggled with their relationship with food and with their body is not only not trashy, it is one of the least surprising things that I can think of. And
1: commonplace. You don't have to be rich or you, famous or mm-hmm. have a hundred million dollars to do that. That is
0: yep. So distractify, check yourself. A All lot right. of women. Relatedly, though, distractify does note that they were also nicotine fiends at this time of their lives, which may still be true, and uh, including that they once attended a Met Gala and snuck off to the bathroom to light she some cigarettes. Well, awesome. the, it was referred to as chain smoking oh. in the in the New York media at the time. Don't know. Interesting. Anyway, the Met was apparently very unhappy when they later heard that the Olsen twins were in their bathroom smoking cigarettes. Oh, no. In violation of the law. Okay, so the article makes it sound like Mary-Kate is probably the wilder partier with a story about a 2005 incident when she was carried out of the dressing room at Madison Square Garden after an Oasis show by her bodyguard. Uh, there was a 19th birthday bash where she was spotted doing shots, dancing, grinding with friends, and making out with supermodel Natalia Vodianova.
1: Fantastic!
0: She's being 20. She's being yes, complete. That's what I'm saying. Age appropriate. I went to Oasis. I had a good time. These people. Yeah, I got backstage. My lesbian fling. I'm an the old sir. I got yeah, backstage. I made out with a girl. And, yeah. Okay. She's 20. This is great. There was Paris Hilton drama. Oh no! As you can't have a mid 2000s thing and not have Paris Hilton drama I thought I'd heard
1: it all with Oasis but continue oh
0: come on mm. um and this Paris Hilton drama ended up being a reference in an early Schitt's Creek episode for fans of that incredible show so while Ashley apparently had a short fling with Jared Leto and they I guess stayed friends because she was in a video for his band in 2013 Mary Kate was dating Greek shipping air and this is apparently a real thing professional kite boarder what what I don't know <laughs> I started to Google and then I realized I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Professional kite boarder Stavros Niarkos, maybe? Apparently he cheated on her with Paris Hilton. Oh no. Eventually he left Mary-Kate for Paris, breaking Mary-Kate's heart, prompting her to drop out of college and move back to LA. Oh, that's
1: Stavros.
0: This incident is referenced in the first episode of Schitt's Creek this way. Alexis, Stavros is flying in to get me. I told you that david what do you mean stavros what do you mean when like when is he doing that alexis like whenever stupid mary kate stops hogging his plane (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) there is one other mary kate thing to address before we get to her marriage this one is much less happy on january 22nd 2008 actor heath ledger died from a bad mix of prescription drugs People magazine reported that a source told them that, quote, Mary-Kate and Heath were casually dating for three months before Heath's death. They were hooking up, but neither were particularly interested in making it exclusive. They had a bond that was based on partying, and they had the same tastes in partying, like in terms of where they like to hang out in New York, what time they would go out. They just had the same sensibility. Heath Ledger's body was discovered by his massage therapist. And knowing that the two were friends, and I guess Heath had had a uh, Plugged her number in his speed dial on his phone. Uh-oh. So the massage therapist uses Heath's phone to call her. She's in California. Uh, like, at least twice. And I guess the therapist did not initially understand that Heath Ledger was dead. He was just not responsive. So we, d- we didn't call 911? She calls? Okay. There are d- different timelines here. Um, so she calls... Mary-Kate Olsen, who says that she will send some of her security people in New York over to help. Then the therapist apparently realizes that Heath Ledger is is dead, is not just unconscious, but is deceased. Calls again to tell Mary-Kate that she's calling 911. There's an Access Hollywood report that says there was then a third call, (sighs) all within like a 10-minute period before she called for paramedics. And then there was a fourth call after the paramedics arrived. The stories are a little weird, though, because it was New York police doing the investigation, and I guess they were New York policing. So there was an anonymous law enforcement source who told the New York Post that, like, this is so so gross. So he says that, uh, well, whatever, anonymous source says, Mary Kate would only cooperate with the investigation if she had immunity from the government. Is that true? Not to my knowledge. So the article, I went and read the New York Post article, and the New York Post, it's reporters that has some shady, it's a tabloid, right? right? And the shadier parts of NYPD, of which there are many shady parts, um, there's a little, it's a Murdoch paper. They, yeah, yeah. So it would not surprise me if some dirty cops were trying to play hardball with a well-lawyered celebrity through their local Murdoch tabloid. Her lawyer says this is all nonsense. That she cooperated. She gave the government all the information. Fully it wanted. with right. And like the article itself reads like so much axe grinding by a pissed off cop. He's bitching about the DEA and how know. much they really put the screws to the NYPD and those bastards. And like, so hats off to your endless professionalism, NYPD. That we is, have a, and it's a tragic death. So it really, really was. Um, I yeah, Heath Ledger still is like the star of some of my favorite movies. He's, it's 12 years now. I didn't even realize that he'd been gone quite that long. Mm. I missed Heath Ledger. To the best of my knowledge, Mary-Kate Olsen had nothing to do with his death, but apparently they dated before he died. So by this point, the twins had largely stopped acting and were well underway with their fashion house, The Row, uh, named with a nod to London's Savile Row. In a 2017 Netta porter interview, They talk about how moving to fashion design was a very normal evolution of their lives to that point. Says Ashley, we've been in so many fittings. We used to do two a week for 15 years. Right. Right. Mary Kate says, when we were younger, being in the public eye was part of our role and responsibility to set the trends at the time or be ahead of fashion. We would take adult clothing and cut it down to our size, change the proportions. I think from a young age, we understood fit in a very different way because we're so petite. They are itty-bitty. They're, yeah, they're wee. They are workaholics who are obsessed with time management as well. Mary-Kate told Netta Porter, I think we're lucky. Working hard comes quite naturally for us. We don't need so much time to sit and think and ponder. But then I have a husband, two stepkids, and a life. I have to go home and cook dinner. I ride horses on the weekends. You find the thing that helps you relax, and if you don't have it, look for it. Or you get burned out, and then you're not productive.
1: Truer words never spoken right there. Yeah.
0: So, yes, a husband and two stepkids, because back in 2012, Mary-Kate began dating Olivier Sarkozy, whose half-brother Nicholas was at that time wrapping up a term as the president of France. Olivier is a finance guy based in New York, and a lot of his childhood was spent at boarding schools in the UK. He's about 15 years older than Mary-Kate, born May 26th, 1969, Taurus Gemini cusp. He had a previous marriage to a fashion writer. They had two kids. So he seems like a very rich person with an interesting so life. Ge-
1: I mean, he's a Gemini, though. Is yes. a Gemini married to a Gemini? Yes. That's fun.
0: <clears throat> he seems like a very rich person with an interesting life story, and I can imagine that he was not intimidated by his celebrity girlfriend and is, as a rule, very comfortable in his own skin. I'm just guessing from... Well, that probably has to be attractive to her, too. Oh yeah, yeah. I I would think so. You're confident enough in what you got going that that's the thing. Yeah, my
1: nonsense doesn't bother you.
0: Yeah, I went to college with a guy. Like I didn't really realize how sort of different it is if you just genuinely come from great privilege. And like this guy's expectations were just all to me out of whack. But it always worked out in his favor. Like his expectation that things would come to him caused things to come to him. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) different when you're rich anyway they married in november 2015 in a ceremony you know let me let page six tell you about oh good it. the 29 year old former child actress tied the knot with her french banker beau of three years olivier sarkozy 46 at an intimate manhattan ceremony on friday night a source said the reception was held at a private residence on 49th street between second and third avenues cocktails were served in a rear garden before the 50 guests dined indoors, attendees were required to turn in their cell phones beforehand. Oh, that's good. Party decor consisted of bowls and bowls filled with cigarettes, and everyone smoked the whole night, the source said. Wow. The couple became engaged in 2014 and live in New York. <laughs> and then they continued on with their discreet, low key life with him doing finance stuff and her doing fashion design, and bowls and, and bowls of cigarettes, bowls and bowls of cigarettes. Fantastic. And everything was all right for a few years. Ashley, meanwhile, was linked to the artist George Kondo for a while following his divorce in 2016, but whether that was serious or not is anyone's guess. She's been dating artist Louis Eisner since late 2017, and it sounds like they're both very into their privacy and not super worried about whether they're married or not. Good for them. Apparently by the end of 2019, Mary-Kate and Olivier were officially in a rough patch, relationship-wise. Uh-oh. And in one of the few light moments of the horror early days of the COVID pandemic, we were treated to headlines that Mary-Kate had tried to file for divorce in April, but New York's courts were closed to non-emergency business and she was rebuffed. Oh yeah, I do remember this. Then in May, she petitioned the court to deem her case an emergency (laughs) because Olivier had allowed the lease on their Gramercy Park home to expire $29,000 a month and expected her to move out in May during the pandemic. Uh -uh. I don't want to downplay the seriousness of the situation or the very real fear that she likely felt as a New Yorker in April and May, on top of all the normal tumult of ending a marriage. But there was a lot of rich people's problems schadenfreude in the early reporting. There was one account that had it that Olivier had moved his ex-wife, their two adult kids, and his mother... All into their home so they could all shelter in place together. And that is what prompted Mary-Kate oh, is to this, file. this, yeah, what caused the rough patch? It's a very cartoonish... Well, no, it sounds like... It sounds like they'd been having... Tr- I feel like maybe if the pandemic had not hit, they might have been able to... Maybe give it another shot. Maybe it was just winding up anyway, but certainly COVID accelerated everything, and it accelerated... It it has been a weird year for marriage. I love this cartoonish idea that, like, Mary-Kate Olsen is standing there while, like, her husband's (laughs) ex-wife trundles in suitcases into their home. That is not what happened. Later reporting clarified that Olivier had the ex, the kids, and his mom move into their Hamptons home in Bridgehampton, which meant that Mary-Kate couldn't just decamp to that property. Oh, and wait until the courts reopened. So her petition for emergency consideration was also denied, and she ended up dropping $325,000 for a Hampton summer rental where she and Ashley quarantined with friends and probably Ashley's boyfriend. Meanwhile, media reports implied that the divorce was being complicated by what was consistently described as an ironclad prenup shielding her $250 million fortune. <gasps> 250 million They're good at fashion stuff. Like they've been really successful at the fashion design thing. But what's interesting is like prenups are not typically described as obstacles to the divorce. Like unless what what is typically what typically happens is that a wife tries to attack the prenup that was opposed that was imposed on her. Like, there's just a weird gender thing. Mary Kate did a smart thing to make sure that nobody snuck off with her money. And it's being treated as though this somehow is an impediment to...
1: So wicked.
0: (laughs) In December, Vanity Fair's Emily Kirkpatrick updated us on the state of play in the Mary-Kate-Olivier divorce process, reporting that the couple's $13.5 million Manhattan townhouse was the major asset in dispute in the case, and described the home this way, quote, The lavish 8,000-square-foot property features a ballroom, five bedrooms, 22 foot high ceilings, seven fireplaces, and a private garage. It also has a communal garden and overlooks a Medici fountain modeled after the one in Rome. Sure it does. The piece. I'm not saying that money solves
1: any problems, but I'm saying your problems are very different when you have access to funds.
0: The piece also notes that they spent $3 million on the renovations and informs us that the Bridgehampton House is another five-bedroom place, although this one only has a measly 4,000 square feet of room. Well, no ballroom.
1: What would Mrs. Astor say? do not
0: know about the private garage sitch there either. Uh, (laughs) That's how the other half lives. And that's how the other half divorces. I mean, there are... Newsflash, they're going to walk away with six or seven million apiece from selling that townhouse. Like, that's how that... That's,
1: Who loses, That's really? how that
0: works. Yeah, right? Like, honestly, I am not sure I want to do trash cans with this one. There's something really painful about the fact that their entire young lives, like the part where all of us are really dumb, we're spent in the spotlight. Yeah. So, like, every mistake, every dumb thing they said, every, like... Every sneaking off to the bathroom at the Met, (laughs) smoke some ciggies. That was all very public. I think it's really notable that they have cloistered themselves into a creative thing that's fully separate from acting and TV. They are not chasing any kind of spotlight. They're apparently quite well-respected as serious designers and business people within Mm. the fashion industry. Yeah, They sit on boards in the fashion industry. Like, it's, you know what, Olsen Twins... I'm not giving you trash cans, and I'm not giving you halos. (laughs) I'm giving you kudos for having had a really weird childhood and deciding to find those things you love, fashion and business. And do more of that. And throwing yourselves into them all the way. That's fantastic. I love it. French spouses come and go, Mary-Kate. There will be more.
1: (laughs) Your twin sister and bowls of cigarettes will remain forever. No, twins. Twins are into each other. That's a great story.
0: Thanks. You're I had no idea welcome. about
1: most all of that.
0: I also had no idea about most all of that. It's kinda nice, like they're not I think you get a lot of situations where a child actor just does not transition into adulthood well. And it's I mean, arguably they had some They have just differently.
1: I mean, I think of Natalie Wood, who was famous from like little. Like we've talked about a lot of Hollywood star people with you know, tragic ends who didn't transition over to adulter if they did. I don't know. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, I just, I had a friend who went to college in New York and ended up back at, this is back in the 90s, ended up at like young adult Macaulay Culkin's home after a night of partying, after a night of clubbing. Okay, And there, I, th- I think Macaulay Culkin has also matured. In his own way. But at the time, he he said that there were Home Alone posters on the wall that were just shredded. Interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of anger being worked through there. I think about that more than I should, given that I've never met Macaulay Culkin.
1: I think about Martha Mitchell throwing condiments on John Mitchell's portrait in her townhome more often than I should. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. This podcast really does lead us to a lot of trashy places. A lot of stuff. Let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back with the daughter of a twin set in my story with Gloria Vanderbilt next.
0: Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You've just... Bring the classics. It's my job
1: around this place. See you on the flip.
0: So, Alicia, we live in a country without a monarchy and without established aristocracy, and yet you have an American royal and aristocrat. Kind of, Gloria Vanderbilt.
1: Poor little rich girl. <laughs> and truly, like a life of tragedy, then trash and triumph, too. Super famous family, super famous name, and you think Gloria would have everything a kid could want and happiness will... Surround her forever. You would think. Is that not? This does not occur. Was it just not all teddy bears and kittens? That's terrible. If there's a tarot card for the life of Gloria Vanderbilt, it would be the Wheel of Fortune. Like, good, every time something good happens, something terrible happens. You can say that Gloria lived well and embraced it all, including four husbands in a story of a sensitive, artistic and thoroughly full life. Let's talk about it. Gloria Laura Vanderbilt was born February 20th, 1924. She's a Pisces baby, but she's also in the cusp of sensitivity that lands between the 15th of February and the 21st. Gloria Vanderbilt is definitely an Aquarius Pisces cusper. So the Vanderbilts. Gloria is the great-great-granddaughter of of Cornelius Vanderbilt. Corny. Old Corny. The Commodore. Mm-hmm. This is the start of the great family, the Commodore. He made millions with steamships and railroads and like the first American millionaires. The stock market shuts down for three days when the Commodore dies in 1877. Wow. Mm-hmm. Commodore, oh Lord, has a son. Well, okay. He has like 13 kids who all have a bunch of kids, who all have a bunch of kids. And the youngest of one of these grandkids is the Commodore's great-grandson, Reginald Claypool Vanderbilt. Reggie. Reggie. And Reggie married a society girl in like 1903. They had a daughter. They're divorced by 1920, which leaves Reggie very single and very rich and very available. He's been left uh, $5 million in the family trust, which is about $73 million in 2019 dollars. Here comes Gloria Morgan. Gloria Sr. She's oh, going to be okay. called once Gloria is born. But Gloria Morgan is from a very prestigious family. Her dad is Henry Hayes Morgan Sr. And he's a big deal American diplomat. It's a huge deal. In March of 1923, when an 18-year-old, barely, Gloria, weds the 42-year-old Reggie. Not everyone is thrilled. Reggie's mom, Alice, is like, oh, this is great. Reggie's going to settle down. Finally, at last. Reggie has a sister, Gertrude. And Gertrude, oh, Lord, will make a very successful marriage on paper, To a man named Harry Payne Whitney of the Whitney Museum. Whitney's, that's Gertrude and Harry Payne.
0: These are, I'm just saying these are all big names in America. Big names. So keep Gertrude,
1: Reggie's sister, just floating in the back of your brain because she's going to come back in the tale of little Gloria. Okay. Okay, so wedding bills. Sure. Here's Gloria Morgan and Reggie Vanderbilt. And Gloria is a great beauty and she is a twin. Her sister, Thelma, is just as big of a socialite and has a whole nefarious backstory. Hold on. Okay. So Gloria, great beauty, young. Reggie, raging alcoholic. Mm. God,
0: we get that a lot. It's like- A little too late for Gloria to know anything about it. It's like raging alcoholics frequently end up divorced. (laughs) Well, not this time. Baby Gloria is going to come along in
1: February of 1924. And the happy family is off with Grandma Morgan and Dodo, who is baby Gloria's nanny. Because you don't watch your own kids. Right. There are social things to do and parties and dress fittings and things that you have to stand for portraits. Right. Like, (laughs) these don't involve taking care of your kids. Yeah,
0: I feel like upper class, that, like... Because the English royals do that, too. Like, it's all nannies and whatnot. Well, sadly, Gloria, as an adult, recalls
1: feeling, like, really isolated from her mom. She says, I always remember her seeing from the back. Mm -hmm. She was always leaving. I saw her getting into cars. I saw her walking out of doorways. She was always... That's rough. That is the memory that adult Gloria has of, like, her mom as a child. She was always leaving. Isn't that terribly sad? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Tragedy strikes when little Gloria, Gloria Jr., is 18 months old because dad Reggie dies of liver disease. Jeez. Mm-hmm. So now you have Gloria Sr. in 1925 as a beautiful, stunning 20-year-old widow with a baby. And tons of money, I'm guessing? Who is utterly unequipped to parent. Sure. Whose sister's living it up in England. Okay. Okay. Th- Thelma. Uh huh. And she can't parent, but she can party well enough. So off to Paris. Gloria Sr. goes with baby. It's a choice. Who has nannies and sitters and dodo. And Gloria Sr. is having a marvelous time. You have a baby in Paris? (laughs) In the middle of the lost generation? Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Well, Gloria's having a great time because she's living off the interest. Of the fortune that is now held in half by her daughter, okay, because Reggie has a child from that first marriage, so his five million I split see.
0: in two. So, so she's like managing her daughter's trust. Is that more or less? Not
1: she's spending her daughter's. I'm trust. sorry,
0: that's the correct way to. <laughs> sorry, because there's a lot of money held in trust, and as sorry. long. I was dressing
1: that up, I guess, <laughs> as mom. Has access to baby Gloria. Mom has access to the trust
0: for support and care. Of course. Of Gloria. As noted, children cannot make good decisions on their own. They must rely on adults <laughs> to do it for them. That's pretty good. Does she? For Gloria Sr. In her, you know, in the mid-20s, in her 20s, living in Paris. Sure. Nannies in cash. I'm imagining the baby, like, having drinking battles with Ernest Hemingway and stuff. <laughs> This little Gloria. Do it again,
1: Fitz. All right. <laughs> Taking a tally on Imago so far. We have a dead alcoholic father. Right. A distant, neglectful mother. Mm-hmm. Not great for baby Gloria.
0: Hemingway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doing shots with Ezra Pound. Putting whiskey in her bottle. And <laughs> this is... Sorry, another thing Gloria will say. Like, her mom was elusive. She was magical. She was unattainable. She was extraordinary. She was a butterfly and I was always trying to catch her because she's sad. But Dodo is, like, the loyalest nanny ever and sleeps with Gloria because Gloria is terrified of the dark. And Dodo is her maternal influence. And then mom takes up with this German prince. <laughs> and Grandma Morgan and Dodo are, like, uh, not gonna happen and there's some other stuff happening with mom, too. Look, she's living it up in Paris. She's being single in Paris in 1925. And the Vanderbilts back in the States are getting a little worried. Not only that Gloria Sr. is burning through little Gloria's trust money, but also the reputation that Gloria Sr. is gaining. And Gertrude, Reggie's sister, is like, we need this child back here in the States immediately. So Gloria with Dodo come back to stay on the estate in Long Island. Gloria gets put into the Greenville school. Yeah, Gloria Jr. So Gloria Glo- Jr. Gloria
0: senior stays.
1: She may stay, she may come back. There's a lot of coming and going. I mean, at that this.
0: time, I think Paris was the only city in the world where you could get a Bloody Mary. So. <laughs> Gloria senior's
1: bad cuz her access to funds now are No longer. Oh. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, at least her priorities are completely screwed up. Well, you've got Gertrude and
1: Dodo feeding Gloria Jr. lies about mom. And didn't that German prince try to touch you in places that you like? And little Jr. Gloria It's like, tell me what you want me to say. You, if you say that Dodo will always stay with me, I'll say whatever you want to stay. I just want to be with Dodo. I don't care where I am. It gets bad. By the time Gloria Vanderbilt is 10, the battle is on and will occur in 1934, the most famous courtroom drama of the entire year. Again, brainwashing campaigns for little Gloria. She's saying what her aunt wants her to say. The public is hungry for all the dirt, and it gets really dirty. And every adult Gloria knows, it's like you say these terrible things about your mom, and you can stay here with Dodo forever. So Gloria does, and like for a hot minute, sympathy of the public is with mom. But then, la Scandal. There's a French maid who comes in of the mom to come in and testify, who's like we. Oui. I came in with the breakfast tray and saw Gloria Sr. totally in bed and making out with the Marchioness of Milford Haven. Wow. Mm-hmm. <gasps> this is, <laughs> sorry, the wife of Prince George of Battenberg, who is a Mount Batten. Wow. Yeah. Spider webs on Wednesday this week. We're getting into the Vanderbilts and the Morgans and Telma Furness. And oh, God, it's going to be so good. Okay. But, Social
0: climbering. Okay. La scandal.
1: <laughs> the Scandal. The. Court is cleared, like you don't. Yeah,
0: talk about lesbian. Yeah, re-
1: this is whatever sympathy Gloria Senior did have gone, torch gone. Now I want you to keep in mind a little something about Gertrude, Aunt Gertie. Yeah, Aunt Gertie is totally rumored to have been an undercover lesbian for years. So there's nothing like a good double standard. She had a best friend that they wrote letters for years and years and years. And all the family was like, we have to get her away from Esther or whoever it was. It's coming in spiderwebs. That's very... Yeah, hypocrisy. There's nothing like a good double standard.
0: But I feel like only one of these adults was endangering a child.
1: That is true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Completely
1: a valid point you make there. So November of 1934... Gloria Vanderbilt is declared a ward of the state, her mother is ruled unfit, and Aunt Gertie is set up as her guardian. The sad part about this, Dodo goes away on Christmas Eve of 1934. Gloria says it's the most terrible thing that ever happened to her as a child. Like, all of that was nothing compared to, I did all of this just so I could stay with Dodo. Right. And now Dodo's going away. It's terrible.
0: Like, was she fired or did just. We
1: don't need you anymore. Thanks for your help and winning our kid back for us, but you can go. Like Gloria and Dodo do reunite. It's it's okay. very sweet, but okay. anyway, okay.
0: She's the only maternal figure I've ever had in my entire and now you're short send life. Her and- away. Yeah. So Gloria is now a true Vanderbilt kid. She's
1: like living in the gilded cage, and she'll go spend summers with her mom. But the relationship that Gloria Senior and Gloria Junior have is. Just fragile and strange. Gloria Jr. says some women just shouldn't have children and my mom was one of them. Okay, Spiderwebs Wednesday this week is gonna be great because oh God. Thelma Furness is Gloria senior's sister and sh- twin sister and she's the mistress of <laughs> Prince Edward. Thelma Furness is the one who hooks up with her friend Wallace and says, take care of Eddie while I'm gone. <laughs> okay. Right. So there's more to Gloria. There's more to her twin sister. There's more to the Vanderbilts. We're going to talk about all of it on Wednesday. I'm trying to stick with Gloria Vanderbilt here. We got to get her married and divorce. Like, this is trashy divorces. Stay on task, Alicia. So Gloria, back in school, developing an artistic side. She loves the movies. She thinks the movies is exactly what it's going to be like when you're an adult.
0: Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Any particular movies?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gloria Sr. is going to take Gloria Jr. on a summer trip to Hollywood in 1937. So little Gloria is like 14. The world will never be the same. Mom is mingling with her friends, Joan Crawford, Maureen O'Sullivan. They go to San Simeon. And are hanging out with W.R. Hurst and Marion Davies. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. little Gloria is, whoa. Rarified. Yeah, mm-hmm. rarefied air. It's a marvelous summer. And Aunt Gertie is like, oh, hell no. We're locking this down. This is not going to happen anymore. So, Gloria is then sent to Farmington to the ever-popular Miss Porter School.
0: Ah. Uh. Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll kind of become a glamour girl. Men love her. She has a very distinctive look. She's catnip to men. Sin on toes, man. She's dreamy and artistic and lovely
0: and Uh, and loaded. I was going to say Anna Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah. By the time Gloria's 16, she's packing her bags and she's heading out west. She wants to go hang out with mom. She has to get permission from the court to do it. Gloria lands in Hollywood. She's dating older men. And movie stars like Errol Flynn. And bring out the jewelry tray. Oh, no. Howard Hughes. Gloria says she would have mar- married Howard in a minute. That does not happen. Instead,
0: even knowing how he mm-hmm, turned out? Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Oh, she adored him. Hmm. I loved him. I would have married him in a minute.
0: Wow. I wonder if he would have turned out that way if she... Had married him for love. Well, she's a Vanderbilt, so I can
1: only imagine the type of jewels that he put on the tray. Like, he's not putting out his paltry I would not think.
0: Cubic zirconia, my ass. ass. (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. What does happen? Gloria, in her first marriage,
0: settles instead
1: for an employee of Howard Hughes, at least at the time. Pat DeSico describes himself as a failed Hollywood agent with mob connections. <laughs> it's terrible. Pat DeSico is bad news. This is 1941. Gloria is 17. He proposes and Gloria wants to escape control of her aunt and her mom And when you get married, everything is great, like it is in the movies. I've heard that. And I become an adult, and everything's perfect. Perfection. Certainly, your 31-year-old mob-connected self, who's best friends with Lucky Luciano, and maybe also possibly murdered your ex-wife, Thelma Todd, back in the 30s. That's coming on Nightcap Chat this week. Like... There's so much to... Oh, wow. Okay. Pat DeSico's bad news. Pat's going to enlist. They get married in like 1941. They live on army bases for a minute, but then they're going to head back to New York where Pat will drink heavily and gamble and becomes violent physically and emotionally and just about every other way you can imagine... Because Pat DeSico is a dude. It is a mean, drunk mobster. And Gloria Vanderbilt is in no way prepared for right. this. And not being prepared for it, she's totally ashamed. She's like, I don't even know how to tell anyone that this is happening to me. And she o- kind of married him just to spite her aunt. Aunt Gertie passes away four months after that. Oh, God. So now she's stuck in this marriage where she's being abused. And everyone in Hollywood is like, hey, Gloria, this Patasica's bad news. He maybe killed his ex-wife and he runs with monsters and uh, he likes to beat up on women. And this may not be, and she doesn't pay attention because, take out your bingo card. <laughs> I can fix him.
0: Ah. Uh, he hasn't
1: been loved by me yet.
0: Ah, season mm-hmm. nine opener, and we already have it. I can fix him. Okay. All right, but things
1: are about to change because January 1945, Gloria is about to be 21.
0: Whoa. Oh, yeah. Access to some monies. So, in I, anticipation. I'm surprised that Pat DeSico couldn't just be nice for a few years until she turned 21.
1: Nope. She's out in January of 1945. She turns 21 in February of 1945. Very smart. She will receive her $4 million inheritance. She will pay Pat $200,000.
0: Just go away. Don't go away mad. Bye-bye. Just go away. Very used to seeing the Mm -hmm. back of people, and I look forward to seeing the back of you. For the rest of time. (laughs)
1: But something else has happened. Things are shifting for Gloria at this time. She has met a composer named Leopold Stakowski. She meets him. They're married three weeks later. Wow. In April of 1945. Wow. Gloria loves him. And he loves her. And they don't even mind the 41-year age difference between them. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Gloria will say that Leopold... Saved her from Pat DeSico. I think Gloria saved herself, quite frankly. But they have two boys. They live on a farm in Connecticut. He composes grand stuff, and sure. she paints, and things yeah. are
0: really happy for a long time. That sounds phenomenal. It's I mean, I'm great. sure. I'm sure he's extremely stable, settled. Like all the nonsense of her. Oh. Just the most of and jetsam life to that point. Well, it must he's have been a composer, wonderful. So he
1: has magic, and she can talk in the arts, and he's dreamy too, mm-hmm. and all of it's great. Till about 1954, about nine years into the marriage, Gloria is 30 now, and has decided that she maybe would like to try her hand at acting. So her first role is in the Swan at the Pocono Playhouse. Oh God! She gets some good reviews. New York Times praises her performance, and Gloria is bitten by
0: that bug that is called
1: the theater.
0: theater. I'm imagining Mrs. Mazel's family showing up to watch <laughs> the swans. <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> during their summer. Gloria's going to get an agent. She's going to start to take roles, and Leopold is less than thrilled with this turn of events. This is to him is not composing symphonies. This isn't even painting. This is a lesser art. And why would you want to do this? And you're the mother of two children and you may be 30, but now I'm 70 and I feel very differently about things. And I do not support this trajectory in your career at all.
0: Leo. I know. Dude. Well,
1: also Gloria senior is still rattling around at this point. And Gloria Jr. is supporting her. And Leopold is like, you need to cut your mom off. Mm. You need to be done with this. And Gloria has a hard time doing this. And now, like, the media is getting involved and picking up the story. And this is all very much shades of her custody. Like, it's not good. Gloria, Leopold separate in 1954. Gloria's going to date Frank Sinatra. (laughs) She says she never saw the violence in him that others warned her about. Hmm. She loved him. She just fell head over heels, gaga over him, and he was a perfect gentleman to her.
0: I What I'm hearing is that Gloria Vanderbilt just She's had magic. a lot of love. Oh, she,
1: catnip to men, but loved love. Well, lovers. but love, yeah. Like so She loved sex. Um, she and Anderson Cooper, her son, mm. do this book at yes, the like- end of her life where... <laughs> He's like, I don't want to hear all these uh-huh. things about my mm-hmm. mom and sex, right? Okay. <laughs> There's a one night stand that Gloria has with Marlon Brando, who just so you know, keeps a full length portrait of himself in his bedroom. I'm not surprised by that. There's also an ill fated date with uh, Bill Paley, William Paley, that her buddy Truman Capote sets her up on with. That date went bad. There was some chasing of Gloria done by Bill Paley. Hmm they do not see each other again let's see we got to get to two more marriages cuz now gloria is acting and she is going to encounter her hubby number 3 Sidney lumet who's kind of a new york tough guy he's up and coming at this point as a director his first kind of breakthrough film is going to be in 1957 with 12 angry men okay like he does, he has a 50-year career, but he marries Gloria in August of 1956 right before he's about, like, he's done Playhouse 90, he's done TV, he's been up and coming, but Gloria is just taken with his grit. I mean, he's just kind of a New York tough guy, and she's just, and she's acting, and he directs, and they're kind of this, you know, up-and-coming power couple, which goes great for a minute until... Hubby number two, ex-hubby, number two, Leopold, is going to raise a little trouble by taking Gloria to court for custody of their kids in 1959. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Gloria wins the case, but with <laughs> the custody battle and her mom and Sydney Lamette's careers really taking off, and Gloria and Sydney just aren't in the same place. She says that this time he put life first and career second. And I was not that way then. They will divorce in 1963. And I love that she says this just because it ended didn't mean it wasn't happy. Hmm. Which I think are very much some relationships just because it wasn't just because it ended doesn't mean it wasn't a happy relationship. They just kind of realized it is not to be born.
0: I'm starting to understand why she's such a beloved figure. She's a badass. I love her. So, Gloria, catnip for men. will marry one more
1: time in her life, this time on Christmas Eve, that same year, 1963, the year of her divorce, to a Mississippi-born writer. His name is Wyatt Cooper. And this is the love that Gloria has waited her entire life for they meet at a dinner party and she knows he's the one like period they marry they spend 14 glorious years together they hmm. have two sons Carter and Anderson Wyatt is a devoted husband and a devoted dad and a loving father and this is just a love match by i don't know the end of the 60s Gloria's designing Using some of her art to design cards and stationery and paper products. And people are like, ooh, your designs are really cool. These should be on prints. Let's make clothes. So by the early 70s, she's building this solid reputation in the world of fashion. <laughs> by 1976, she is bringing in millions as a businesswoman in her own right, like not relying on any of the family wealth, which is mostly long gone. She pioneers designer jeans with her name on the butt. Like, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's China and sheets and, like, a worldwide brand for home and fashion. And a whole new world is opening. And things are going really great for Gloria. So, you know, tragedy's gonna strike again. That does seem the story. In 1978, where Wyatt, her beloved husband, has a heart attack and will die, will die in surgery. And Mm. Gloria is in no way. He's 50 when he Mm. dies. She's in no way prepared for this to happen. And she's a single grieving mother and trying to focus on kids and work. She starts seeing a therapist. And again, like just trying to overcome the hand the universe has dealt her. In 1980, she will make $160 million. (laughs) She launches her perfume. What is that, hourly? In 1982. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> she writes her memoirs. Good things are happening. Until 1988. When her son Carter. Right. He was 23 and on this new medication for a respiratory thing. Gloria thinks he's sleepwalking, but he walks to the balcony and falls mm-hmm. to his death in just a tragic death. Gloria says, like, if you lose a child, you just, you are never... You're never the same after that. In the early 90s, after trying to repair herself from that tragedy that she watches all of it, her therapist and her lawyer, it turns out, have been teaming up to rob her blind. Oh, God. So she takes them to court, wins a judgment, but is never able to collect what they stole or what they owe her. But Gloria Vanderbilt, like she's a survivor. She's always a survivor. There'll be more art and more books in an entirely creative life. She will not marry again, but will have significant relationships along the way. One thing I thought was very sweet, after Wyatt Cooper passes away, Sidney Lumet comes around and hangs out a lot with she and the boys. And the boys really, really like him. They talk amongst themselves like we wish mom would marry him. And Glory doesn't know this until later, and she's like, "If had I known that you would have been okay with that, I absolutely would have married him again. Just because it ended doesn't mean it wasn't it wasn't a good. Isn't it? Oh, don't cry. It's, you're doing great. I know it's kind of a sad story. Oh, it's a it's a good story. It's a great story. Glory and Anderson will collaborate and work on a book together and a documentary project. I have links to all that. Stuff on the website. There's so much more you can say about Gloria Vanderbilt. I adore her. She never sits back and settles. She continues her work and just love all the time to her death in 2019 at the age of 95. Just beloved and having made an impact in so many ways to the world most especially to just living with positivity and goodness. And you know me, I'm a, I'm a quote fan. I'm a fan of quotes. And I think my favorite quote that I have come across from Gloria, I'm going to sum up here. It's such a cusp of sensitivity kind of thing. I've lived a lot, lost a lot, had dreams of love and fateful encounters. And although I suspect the answer is in the seeker, I still believe that what I'm looking for is just around the corner. Maybe it is. Why not? (laughs) So good. So many trash cans, at least for Pat DeSico. Fair. Any trash cans that Gloria Vanderbilt gets are perfectly designed, though. Totally branded well and labeled on the backside. So. (laughs) That sounds right. I love her. Like, what a life. What a legacy. There's no way to tell her entire story in the scope of one episode. So, Spiderweb's coming this week. Sure. On Wednesday with the Morgans and the Vanderbilts. Thursday, we're going to talk about Todd And, oh, Tuesday this week is our first Tuesday in January. And we're starting our new Tuesday series with the Ladies Who Lunch. Oh, sure. The Swans edition. And this week, we're starting with Babe Paley. Who is married uh-huh. to William Paley, who mm-hmm. we just talked about in this story. Spiderwebs. It all comes together. It
0: all comes together. <laughs> That's Gloria Vanderbilt. That's that is a hell of a life.
1: God, just she's amazing. Uh, amazing. Literally, go get a chance to look at anything, any of her art, any of her books. She is beautifully spoken, completely talented, inherently creative and
0: just a hell of a force. I know you've wanted to tell her story for a while so long. So, so hey, so that's our season 9 opener. Yeah, 2021. Welcome to season 9. Ooh, made it through
1: a thing. Thanks everybody for tuning in and spending your time with us. If you need more trash candy in the meantime, this week is going to be jumping over on the Patreon. Sure. And until then, we'll catch you back next Sunday. We We sure will. With additional
0: trashy stories. Oh, we got some super
1: fun planned for next Sunday. But until then, we need you to keep your hands really, really clean. Scrub them up a lot. Oh, my gosh. Keep
0: wearing that mask. Mm -hmm. Love your fellow human.
1: Yep. Keep your hearts trashy.
0: That's the key point we want to leave you with
1: is the trashy heart is the trashy
0: heart part absolutely yeah thanks everybody
1: (laughs) can't wait to see you back next week keep it trashy bye bye y'all and thanks to you for listening trashy divorces is a hemlock creatives production created and produced right here in atlanta georgia by us stacy and alicia